Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Munganas St. Louis Honda Sports on a Sunday morning. Here's the pitch. A swing and a high fly ball. This could be trouble. It's at the wall. And it's a gunner! He scores! Now, sports on a Sunday morning on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Good to be along with you. Tom Ackerman with you. Uh, Early happy Thanksgiving to everybody as we start Thanksgiving week. Hope everybody is going to be safe in their travel plans, that you'll be with family and friends and loved ones. And if you're working, and some of us do on Thanksgiving, uh, we certainly hope that you have a good time uh, whenever you sit down for that Thanksgiving dinner. You know, that does happen. You might be having it today. I don't know. Maybe you're having multiple Thanksgiving dinners. I would go so far as to say that uh, these Thanksgiving food takes on social media are getting pretty hot. I mean, some people are really trashing some Thanksgiving meals. I, I some people that I has anyone noticed the if you if you're on Twitter, there's this uh, tweet going around as to your controversial food takes, and everybody's chiming in. I saw somebody that I really respect say that pumpkin pie is terrible, and it like changed my whole view of that person. If that makes sense, I don't know. I I don't know how that's possible to not like pumpkin pie or just pie in general. And um, cranberry sauce is terrible, by the way. Anyway, here we go. We are back on sports on a Sunday morning, and we're going to talk some sports with you on KMOX. We have a lot to get to. First of all, what an unbelievable night last night at the Musial Awards. And we're going to hear from Chris Kerber and Layla Anderson on this show, two people that I was able to catch up with, among many that we were able to catch up with with the assistance of Sam Masterson from our KMOX Sports Department and Digital Department, from Brent Schulman and the outstanding people of the St. Louis Sports Commission. Congratulations to Frank Viverito and Mark Schreiber, uh, Emily Deutsch of CBS for uh, going forward and putting this on CBS, which it will be in December It's just all around an outstanding effort by a great group of people that started this. Uh, Mike Bush of KSDK, the host of it, what, 13, 14 years ago. And here they are now filling Stiefel Theater. The place was absolutely packed last night. Uh, They've had so many amazing sponsors. Maryville University has stepped up as the presenting sponsor. Edward Jones Enterprise Worldwide Technology and Centene. That is like a Mount Rushmore of sorts of St. Louis companies. Those are big time right there. And with CBS Sports involved, it makes it just that much bigger. And this is they they celebrate extraordinary sportsmanship and the Musial Awards, celebrating next year on what will be uh, Stan Musial's 100th birthday. How about that? And November 21st, 2020. So 
Uh, just a very special tribute to the man that we all loved and continue to love, Stan Musial, the greatest Cardinal of them all, who represented great sportsmanship throughout his career. And the recipients last night, all very well-deserved, and we'll get to them in just a bit. Otherwise, it was kind of a disappointing sports weekend, to be honest. I mean, the state of Tennessee took it to St. Louis twice. Last night, the Nashville Predators beat the Blues, and then the Vols continue the misery in Columbia as Barry Odom's team lost. Illinois lost also. We'll get to all that. Let's start with the Blues. The Blues played last night. They took on the Nashville Predators. Here's a bright spot. His name is Clem Costin. He's going to be good. Take a listen on Fox Sports Midwest. Now they gave it away. Watson and a save by Bennington after the Blues coughed it up in front. Then Watson a glorious chance. And now Clem Costin back for the Blues. He comes in. He scores! His first NHL goal! It's in there after the good save by Bennington. Bennington sliding to his left. He makes a save with the right. Braden Shen had a heck of a shift. He was banged all over and did it himself. And there's that little stutter step move by Clem Costin. And he rifles the wrister past the glove side. Head up all the way. Uses the defenseman as a screen. The Russian prospect, he can flat out play. He's got great size and skill, and he scores on a wrister last night for the Blues against the Preds. Thank you so much. Feels great. You looked very happy. Thank you. Can you take us through the play? How it developed? You had the puck. You were able to carry it up ice before you shot. What did, what did you see there? Nothing. I just see the, see the net and just shoot. What did it feel like to score and hear the reaction from the crowd and, and of course your teammates as well? It's just unbelievable feel, you know, no words to explain the like the feel. How long have you been dreaming about that moment of scoring in the National Hockey League? From three years old. Three? Yeah. When I when I make my first step on ice. Isn't that cool? From three years old from I made my first step on the ice. Clem Costin. It came true last night as he scored a goal for the Blues in a game at Enterprise Center. Alex Petrangelo had the other goal, but the Blues lost the game 4-2. to two. Philip Forsberg scored 20 seconds into the game, and it was a Predators win, snapping a six-game losing streak. They really just had their way. They outshot the Blues 22-9 to in the first period. The Blues allowed 43 shots on goal. That's a season high for them. Here is Alex Petrangelo. Uh, I thought we got through a game. I mean, uh, you know, a couple of bounces that just are pretty fortunate their way. I mean, uh, uh, I'm not making excuses, but, you know, chances of the first one going right to them and then the second one goes off Falker. And, but other than that, I thought we, um, you know, we could have played a lot better. It could have been more aggressive. I thought we weathered the storm a bit there in the first. Uh, got a handle of it, but we need to play better if we want to be a team like that. How hard is it when you have to chase the game from so early on? Yeah, it's never fun, especially uh, uh, you know we haven't been scoring out of you know of late. And you start pressing, and um, you know I thought that five on three that we killed off was a big momentum shift for us, kind of going into that second period. And it is true there were some bounces that didn't go their way. Petro was acknowledging the play where Eckholm scored to give them a two nothing lead. It was a shot that ricocheted off Jay Bomeister and Justin Falk and then went off Bennington's blocker and into the net. Ding, 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 into the net. I mean, you know, these things happen. But the Blues, there's no hiding it. They did give up 43 shots on goal, and Bennington had to make 39 saves, and he made, what, 40 saves. 
the other night against the Calgary Flames. So there's a bit of an issue there. Here's Craig Berube. They were more desperate and, uh, you know, definitely came out harder than we did. So, yeah, I mean, that happens, you know, that's part of, you know, things happen in games. We didn't play good enough to win the game. Yeah. For the, for the game, though, like um, well, I think a lot of the puck management tonight was uh, losing 50-50 battles, soft plays with the puck. More than puck management, um, we just we weren't um, we weren't heavy enough tonight. Yeah, he clearly doesn't like the way they're playing and wants a little more toughness and heaviness around the puck. And the Blues lose the game four to two to the Nashville Predators. They are still the leaders in the Western Conference, co-leaders with the Edmonton Oilers. The Blues have a record of fourteen five and five for thirty three points. The Oilers lead the Pacific Division with 33 points, 15-7-3. The Blues are three points clear of the field in the Central Division. Dallas is now in second place with 30 points, then Winnipeg, then Colorado. Colorado had been in second, but they've fallen back a little bit. The Blues with 33 points, the co-leaders in the Western Conference. The best team in hockey right now is Washington with 37 points. Second best team, Boston. The Bruins have rebounded from last year's loss to the Blues in the Stanley Cup Final for a 15-3-5 record. Could they eventually, these two teams, Blues and Bruins, cruise into a situation where they might meet each other again? We'll see. Wouldn't that be a lot of fun? But the Blues right now have some work to do. They need to play a more complete game and still try to find their way defensively. Again, too many shots on Jordan Bennington, who is one of the best in the league. I think he has shown right now that he has gotten himself back into that magical uh, play. He can he can really make some things happen, but he let three in yet or four in yesterday, and the Predators won the game by the final score of four to two. The Blues' next game, as we take a look at their schedule, the Blues playing at home against the Predators last night. Now go to Nashville for a game tomorrow. There was going to be an outdoor practice at Centene that has been postponed. The Blues will be playing at Nashville. There will be no practice for them today at all. They'll play at Nashville tomorrow, and then they'll go to Tampa Bay and play on Wednesday the 27th and Dallas on Friday the 29th. So Thanksgiving week is clear for Blues games at home, but they do have the Penguins on Saturday night. That should be a lot of fun. So a lot of hockey coming for the Blues. They're going to play four games this week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday as the Blues take on the Pittsburgh Penguins, and then they go up to Chicago for a game on December 2nd. The Missouri Tigers lost, and we're going to talk to Barry Odom about it one hour from now at 11.15. Mizzou lost to the Tennessee Volunteers 24-20, to and the Tigers' bowl eligibility is still up in the air in two ways. One, they only have five wins. And the other is the fact that they uh, still don't know from the NCAA what the heck the ruling is going to be on this, the appeal of the sanctions. I mean, this is just taking forever. And Mizzou hasn't uh, heard anything from the NCAA. The NCAA hasn't said a peep about it. And Mizzou, 5-6, and six, has lost its last five games, and they lost the game to Tennessee. Tennessee just kind of flung the ball through the air. They had three players with more than 100 receiving yards. Kelly Bryant was 16 of 28 for 166 yards and a touchdown. I'll say this. I have a lot of respect for Kelly Bryant. You know, he could have, once the NCAA put those sanctions on the Tigers, said, you know, 
maybe this isn't the spot for me and I'll transfer. But he didn't. He stuck with the team that uh, maybe didn't have any football postseason in its future and tried to make it work, but it has not worked. Uh, Barry Odom, the head coach, again, who's going to be our guest in an hour, has all kinds of heat on him. Derek Dooley, the offensive coordinator, uh, has uh, called this football hell and has had a lot of problems moving the football. And the Tigers, who cut Tennessee's lead to 24-20 with 4.02 to go, couldn't do anything more. Uh, they were uh, knocked down on their final drive, and they were outgained 5.26 to 2.80. 5.26 to 2.80. That is not good. And they lost the game to Tennessee, a team that's on the rise right now. The Volunteers are making things happen. They're 6-5, and five and they are now bowl eligible. They look terrible at the start of the year. Tennessee now 4-3 and three in the SEC. Bowl eligible for the first time since 2016. Mizzou 5-6, and 2-5 and five in the SEC. They play Arkansas next week. Illinois lost at Iowa 19-10. That snaps the Illini's uh, four-game winning streak. The Illini came in number one in the nation in turnover margin. And then they turned it over three times, and Iowa took advantage of that and won the game 19-10. to But it has been good for the Illini. Both of those teams, Illinois and Iowa, are bowl eligible. It's been a nice year for Lovey Smith's team. They'll try to finish strong. In the meantime, Ohio State looking very good. They jumped all over Penn State early, went up 21 to nothing, and won the game 28-17. So they lock up a berth in the Big Ten title game. Minnesota will try to make it on the other side. They have their grip on first place in the Big Ten West by beating Northwestern 38-22. We know the SEC championship is going to include LSU. They have locked up a trip to the SEC title game, first time for them since 2011, as they beat Arkansas 56-20. Georgia stayed in line for a college football playoff berth. They won over Texas A&M 19-13. Alabama and Auburn are going to play next week. Alabama needs some help here if they want to get into the playoff, and they just took it to Western Carolina yesterday, 66-3. Auburn beat Sanford 52 to nothing. I don't like that week when SEC teams play those teams. I, I, I don't like the way that's set up. But anyway, that's the way it goes. You know who's really good is Utah. Utah just smashed Arizona 35-7. to Keep an eye on that team, although you know, they took a loss early in the year that hurts them. Uh, the team that is knocked out now is Oregon. They got beat by Arizona State last night 31-28. So the Ducks were one of those thought to be maybe if they win the Pac-12, they could get into the playoff. No, they are done. They lost to Arizona State 31-28 last night. Uh, Indiana got blown out in the second half by Michigan, 39-14. Baylor's in the Big 12 title game. They'll play Oklahoma. Baylor beat Texas 24-10. Oklahoma with Jalen Hurts passing for two and running for two beat TCU 28-24. Taking a look at some other college football, it was Wisconsin over Purdue 45-24. Notre Dame handled Boston College 29-7. And, you know, I really think that in college football right now, the college football playoff, I think, has helped the game. I, I was against it for a while. I didn't think that, you know, I thought that they should expand this to a bigger tournament, maybe even 16 teams to try to battle it out, like the NCAA basketball, like March Madness. But they've done a good job here. They've created a lot of discussion, controversy, and it usually settles into the correct four teams are involved in the college football playoff. So we'll see how that turns out when they announce it 
on Tuesday. Some college basketball, the St. Louis Billikens are really good uh, rebounding the basketball. We know that. They don't shoot free throws particularly well, but they are a good defensive team, and their player, Hassan French, had a monster game last night. Goodness gracious, 21 points and 24 rebounds for Hassan French. That ties an Atlantic 10 record with rebounds 24 in one basketball game, and the Billikens won it 60-55 to over Belmont. Illinois just destroyed Hampton by the final of 120-71. to Another double-double. That's the fifth double-double now for Kofi Coburn, their 7-foot freshman. He had 20 points and 13 boards. Uh, congratulations to Lindenwood advancing in the playoffs in Division Two. They go on to play Northwest Missouri State on Saturday, and the Wash U women's soccer team advanced. They hosted and moved on to the sectional final in their division, so some good local news as well. But as far as the major professional and college teams, it was not a great day on Saturday, except for the Musial Awards. That was a very special evening last night at Stiefel Theater, and we're going to hear more about it with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. He was one of the honorees. He is coming up next on Sports on a Sunday Morning. Then we are going to talk a lot of baseball this hour. Get ready. Get your coffee as we talk to the commish, Rick Hummel, and get his thoughts on what the Cardinals should do this offseason. That's on the way at 1035. Then next hour, we will be joined by Barry Odom at 1115, Lisa Stone, the women's basketball coach at SLU at 1130, and Jim Woodcock has a great book to talk about. It's about the Blues win in the Stanley Cup. It's called History Made, the official story of the 2018-19 Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues that's on sale now. We'll tell you how to get it and we'll hear from him at 1145, the ultimate holiday gift, I can tell you that. Back in a moment, it's 1022 Sports on a Sunday Morning. Tom Ackerman with you on KMOX. Welcome back to the Munkadass St. Louis Honda Sports on a Sunday morning. Munkadass pre-owned on South Limburg on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. The voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, is with us. You and I have talked so many times about this great business of ours. Before I get into your story, when you were becoming an NHL broadcaster, somebody gave you an opportunity in Phoenix, didn't they? A chance to call some hockey Initially, it was thought to be that you were going to be the color analyst, but you got to be a play-by-play man for a second period. And about four days ago, I actually found the cassette tape of that period. <laughs> so I had to go back and listen to it. Uh, Kurt Kielbach was doing play-by-play for the Phoenix Coyotes at the time. Uh, Taylor Burke was the assistant general manager. And Taylor Burke called up and said, Jim Johnson is uh, can't do the game in Philadelphia. He, I think, went to help coach the, the World Junior team. Would you go to Philadelphia and be and kind of help out on the broadcast, do color for uh, for Kurt? Because uh, we were affiliated in Springfield in the American League with the Phoenix Coyotes. I said, sure, of course I would. So I jumped in the car, drove down to Philadelphia, got into town, and at the morning skate, Kurt Kielbach said, you take the mic for the second period. So I did a play-by-play of that second period. First goal I ever called was Keith Kachuk scoring a goal assisted by Jeremy Roenick and uh, used that tape actually to help get the job here in St. Louis. Outstanding. And years later, a yep. very accomplished broadcaster in John Kelly, who does the play-by-play on television on Fox Sports Midwest, can't do it during the postseason because it's on national television. You gave up your seat, your play-by-play role in the second period for John Kelly, which has earned you a Musial Award. What went through your mind when you made that decision? You know, had, had we gone to the Stanley Cup final back in 2016, would have done it then. Uh, 
these guys work just as hard as everybody throughout the the season and then the national tv comes in and, and all of a sudden what they've done they, they don't get to do the games um, and that's hard to do it's hard to sit and miss a game or sit and watch a game when your job is to call the game so um, just thought about it and, and said, you know what, I think it's fitting if the Blues go back to the Stanley Cup final for the first time since, you know, their three straight years of going in, in the late 60s. And uh, it just made sense to say, hey, John, do you want to do the second period? And look, we travel with these guys. We spend sometimes as much time with them during a hockey season as we do with our own families. So sometimes on the road, you have your ups and your downs and they help you get through them. Uh, you're missing your family. They help you get through it. And uh, we are a family. And uh, I just... It was so cool to share it with him. So cool to see his family get to do it. And, you know, he sat down, and I think within the first couple minutes of game one, Vladimir Tarasenko scored a goal. And they had those deep pipes just belling it out there. And, uh, and, and it, was, it was just an awesome way to experience the Stanley Cup final as a group. And, and we all did it. It, it, was, it was fantastic. It had to have been an emotional thing for him, his father, of course, as the legendary Dan Kelly, who had your role as the radio voice. But there is a brotherhood, isn't there? The, you are family when you're away from your families for so long. You spend so much time together. Uh, sometimes it's at dinner. Sometimes it's just working together at the rink. And, and, and you become real tight. You care about them. You, you care about what's going on in their lives. You, you want to help if they need some help. And, and then you, you want to celebrate the good times, like most recently being on the road in, uh, in Edmonton when Darren Pang became a grandfather. You know, and so we were toasting that after a hockey game one night for him. And, and so you're there with him for those moments. And so, li like I said, we look back on the Stanley Cup run that the Blues went on and the pictures that we have of our whole group at, at some dinners in the North End in Boston, uh, the pictures that we have up in the broadcast booth. That means every bit as much to uh, our memories and our experiences actually doing the games. And the amazing thing, the final thing here, is how this comes back around to a young man named Alex Ferrario. Because of tonight, receiving the Musial Award, you're missing the Blues-Predators game next door. And who's doing the game? It's that kid from the Phoenix Coyotes minor league team in Philadelphia all over again. Alex Ferrario, who has not called an NHL game, gets that opportunity. Yeah, you know what? Really from my, my first year, Jim Woodcock said, it's your booth, do what you want. So I've always tried to pay it forward. There's some guy in the minor leagues, whether it was John Walton, whether it was you know Brendan Burke, and there's a chance for them to slide into a period, do a game. Let them do it. You never know what life is, is going to bring you, what it's going to take you, what path it's going to go. And who knows if you're going to get another chance. So take advantage of that opportunity when it's there. Alex started as our booth intern. He ended up working with you at KMOX in a sports apprentice program that you created for him, came up as working as a board op. And, and now he, he's the host of Blues Hockey on the radio. It was a perfect slide in and uh, to let him do it. And it was really cool to see his face. And I know his family is going to be pretty tickled tonight to just sit around the radio old school and listen to Alex call a game. And finally, Stan Musial, the Musial Award. What does that mean to you? Well, a whole heck of a lot being from St. Louis, being a diehard Cardinal fan, uh, knowing his history, uh, knowing his career, and knowing what he meant to this community, to the St. Louis Cardinals, and to this area that goes so much more beyond what he did on the baseball field. Um, but, but the awards are about sportsmanship, and it's humbling because you get asked a lot about why'd you do this? Why'd you, you do it just because you did. And when you talk to people that, that knew Stan, and I had the privilege of meeting him twice, when you talk to them and know him, they always just say, that's who he is. And I think if anybody could ever look at any one of us and when somebody says, well, what did he do? Well, that's just who he is. I think that's the ultimate compliment. So I, I, it, it's a huge honor 
to frankly just be associated with, with an event, much less receive an award with his name on it. Congratulations. It's well-deserved. Thank you. That is Chris Kerber, the recipient of this Musial Award last night, one of the many honorees. And before we hear from the commish, Rick Hummel, the Hall of Fame baseball writer, we're going to talk some Cardinals here in just a moment. Let me tell you about some of the award winners. Darius Krua was uh, just a great kid. I got a chance to talk to him as well last night. He's from South Carolina, and he represented his elementary school in the 100 meters. It was the school district's annual track meet. A bunch of kids ran the 100, and they were all bunched together running it, and Darius was pulling away from the rest of the group when he noticed out of the corner of his eye that one of the competitors had fallen and tried to break his fall with his hands and hurt himself. He was down. The kid was hurt. And leading the pack, ready to finish this race, was Darius. He stops. He's the only kid to stop. He turns around and helps the kid up, asks him if he's okay, waved over some teachers and coaches to to help the kid. And the two are now friends, by the way. Darius did not win the race, but he won, no doubt about it. This was a much more important win. And Darius Krua uh, and this young man uh, are now buddies. They go to different schools, by the way. But Aaron Crane goes to Merriweather Elementary, and Darius goes to Mossy Creek Elementary down in South Carolina. But they're buddies, and Darius is a great kid. His birthday's today, by the way. Happy birthday, Darius. Turns 12 today. Uh, Jeff Shillington and Gerard Aker, who helped uh, a young man with Down syndrome get the thrill of his life. They allowed him in a rivalry game between the two schools to step in and take some at-bats. Uh, a take and at bat, put the ball in play, and they, the the opposing infield threw the ball around the field as uh, the young man uh, circled the bases and the thrill of his life, young Julian. It was beautiful. I, uh, that one got me pretty good last night uh, watching that video. Laura Mazer and Jessica Robertson, who were the last place finishers in the Pittsburgh Marathon, found each other and held hands for the final 11 miles as they tried to finish this together and they fought through it and won. Uh, Even though they finished last together, they are now great friends, two strangers who didn't know each other, who saw each other in the marathon and decided we're going to finish this together. Also, Layla Anderson, who you're going to hear from at 11.05, you know her story, and she is a a special human being. I, I just love talking to her. And she has some great things to say about what she's doing now to help other kids She's just incredible. She really is. Merrick Bush, who was wrestling in a match uh, in high school. Uh, he was He's from New York. He was wrestling, and the kid that he was wrestling was winning the match, but then injured himself, dislocated his elbow, and at that point, he could not go on. The kid that he was wrestling was going to have to medical forfeit the match. And what did Merrick Bush do? He just rolled over and let the kid pin him the injured wrestler pin him so that he could win the match. A huge match, by the way, with everything on the line. Uh, and that kid went on to be a section champion and then lost in a rematch to him later. But Merrick Bush, what a great gesture of sportsmanship there. The Forest Lake Christian girls volleyball team, which rallied for the school at Paradise. That's the city that burned in the worst wildfire in our country's history in about 100 years. Uh, They did an amazing thing where they set up uh, an entire 
scene for them. They, they made uniforms for them. They gave them donations. They gave every girl on that volleyball team a $300 gift card so they could go out and buy supplies and clothes for themselves and their families. Henry Frasca, who noticed that Chris Davis of the Baltimore Orioles was in a major slump. He read an article about him in Sports Illustrated. The nine-year-old kid, who's a Boston Red Sox fan, climbs down from the stands at Fenway Park to tries multiple times to get through security to get Chris Davis of the Orioles a note. And in that note, he wrote how much everybody was behind him. You're a major leaguer. You're going to do great. You're going to break out of this. Davis ends up getting the note, reads it, Goes out, what does he do? Breaks out of his slump, slashes three hits, has a monster day, and the two connected. A really beautiful story. And then, of course, Bart Connor and Nadia Komenich, who were honored with a Lifetime Achievement Award. Just uh, They are gymnasts, uh, they're gymnastics' first couple, and uh, a great story of how they have uh, remained a fixture in American sports together. Really great. So the Musial Awards were a lot of fun. Layla Anderson will be with us at 11.05. Rick Hummel is next. He's on KMOX Sports on a Sunday morning. The Commish to talk some Cardinal baseball with us right after this. Welcome back to the Munganass St. Louis Honda Sports on a Sunday morning. Munganass St. Louis Honda on South Limburg on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Sports on a Sunday morning on KMOX, the St. Louis tradition. Tom Ackerman with you on the voice of the Cardinals. And joining us now is a man who's been covering the Cardinals for decades. He is the Hall of Famer from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. The Commish, Rick Hummel, is with us. Commish, how are you doing this morning? I'm fine, Tom. How are you? I am great. It's always great to hear your voice on KMOX. Hearing your voice means a lot of things this time of year. One is that the Baseball Writers' Dinner is right around the corner, and we want to get into that. Two that the Cardinals offseason is in full swing. So we want to hear your thoughts on hot stove and what the Cardinals might do in the offseason. But I do want to start with this. You are in Cooperstown, and I think that there's a chance this could be a very good year for Cardinals fans in Cooperstown. One is that Mike Shannon is up for a Ford C. Frick Award, and we'll cross our fingers here at KMOX that he gets it, although there's a great list around him. Two, I think there's a really good chance for Ted Simmons. Do you think the same, and what are the chances of the former Cardinals catcher to get in? Well, a lot of it depends uh, on the makeup of the committee. There will be, I think, 16 members of the committee, Uh, many of them Hall of Famers, some club executives, some historians slash writers, but more Hall of Famers than anything else. And he got... After several seasons, this is about the fourth or fifth time he's been up for election on the veteran's side of the ballot. And many of those elections he didn't do very well. Then a couple of years ago, I got 11 votes when he needed 12, three fourths, 12 out of 16. But on the committee that year were Don Sutton and Robin Young, who played with him on the 82 American League champion Brewers, who played in the World Series here. So if he has some friendly, friendly faces on the committee, that would help him. That would be good. The fact that he came so close two years ago is important. And also, with the new analytics uh, rage, all those walks he got during his career are now, are now a big deal. <laughs> yeah, they are. not much about it at the time, but, not, but it's not, you know, his OPS, is, all this, is he's a, he's a better player now than when he played. Yeah, it's interesting. You're looking at it now through a different lens as the way the game has uh, continued. How about this call? Here we go, 1978. Zuder got away with a high pitch that time. Throws inside. Oh! Strike two called, and I want to tell you something. Simmons has gone back and really laying it on the plate umpire, and folks, 
I don't say it very often about umpiring, but I don't blame Simmons for griping about that one. Mikey had to spin off the plate, and I bet that pitch was eight inches inside. Two quick strikes on Simmons. Boyer came out and talked to the umpire. Now the umpire looking into the dugout. Boy, that hurts when you get your leadoff man and your number four hitter crippled like that with a strike call. I tell you, the first one was a borderline pitch, too. And now the pitch. Swing and a high fly ball to deep right field. Down the line, in the corner, and goodbye. There you go, Ted Simmons. Umpire pitchers, take them all on, my man. Let's see what happens when he crosses the plate. That's maybe what the Cardinals needed, somebody to get on him. There, he says something, and he's going to throw him out, and I want to tell you, you talk about holding a grudge. I don't say much either, Jack, but that's ridiculous. Simmons has been thrown out. Now he wants to go back after the umpire. He came home, and he tipped his hat to the umpire, and the umpire threw him out of the game. That's now loud. Boyer's out there in front of the plate umpire, Paul Rungi. And Simmons has hit a home run to tie this game to all. Take them all on, my man, said Mike Shannon. Oh, man, I love that. What do you remember from that, Rick Hummel? Well, I was covering that game. I, I remember just as, it, as Jack Buck described it there, and Mike, uh, uh, I, I, you couldn't tell at the time if Ted had actually said anything as he got to the plate, but he had, he had tipped his hat. He had more to say after Paul Rungi threw him out. But you hardly ever see a guy ejected before his foot has touched the plate. He tipped his hat about <laughs> three or four steps away. <laughs> so he, he was out of the game before he, he scored the tying run. <laughs> oh, man, I love it. What an incredible call. What a great moment. You know, Mike Shannon showed that passion. Uh, that was 1978. That was uh, 41 years ago. And here he is still calling games for the St. Louis Cardinals. What a career. Really, and you know, I like I said in the beginning, I know that it's tough competition. I just always cross my fingers when he's up for this because of the longevity, the passion uh, between you and Bob Bragg and Jack Buck and uh, Mike Shannon. We have learned a lot about the game of baseball, I can tell you that. Well, I'm happy that, thank you very much for saying that, but uh, I'm happy Mike has, has got to this, I guess, finalist round. There's 10 names uh, remaining here uh, after many hundreds of people were considered. So um, this would be a wonderful thing because uh, he's, and for Ted too, because they're not going to be on too many more ballots, I wouldn't suspect here before. It's just not going to happen. So maybe this is the year that one or both would get in. If they both don't go in, it's going to be disappointing, but that's, we've unfortunately been down that street before. Yeah, we have. It's tough. It's tough to get into the Hall of Fame, and uh, Cooperstown is a very special place. Rick Hummel, the Hall of Famer, is with us on KMOX. The Cardinals have uh, a Hall of Famer on their roster right now. It's, uh, someday they are going to induct Yadier Molina. I don't know when that will be. There seems to be nationally some buzz as to whether he deserves to be a first ballot or not, I think that you would probably be on board with me that uh, he's he's earned that it, considering what he's meant to the game and how he's played behind the plate. Well, no question. Um, I think people are, are not as concerned anymore with how many home runs that he hit, which is going to be, even when he's done playing, it'll be under 200 probably. And uh, uh, The championships won should count. The gold gloves should count. The, uh, the all-star game should count. But as important as anything else, he, the more years he plays, the the longevity records pile up. He might end up with the most games ever caught if he plays long enough. He's talking about one or two more after this year. So you add on, let's say he catches, you know, 300 more games. <clears throat> you know, let's say three times 100, which is pretty, you know, conservative. But 
uh, he'll, he'll break all the records for games, games caught, innings caught, whatever, and uh, it's going to be hard to keep him out. I wonder what that means for the Cardinals moving forward. It's great having Yadier Molina back there. Everybody uh, knows what he means to the pitching staff and to the coaching staff. Andrew Kisner is a heck of a prospect, and he's got to play somewhere, doesn't he? I, I wonder what the Cardinals' depth looks like at catcher and what that might mean for them this offseason if they were to... Uh, look around for some help elsewhere. Would Kisner possibly be a trade chip? I don't think so, but but, but I wouldn't rule that out because Herrera coming through the system is, is going to be a possibility for the future too. But Kisner is an outstanding player. He's yes, he is, and he can he's improving as a catcher. Uh, I wonder if they have interest in re-signing Weeters as a backup again because he's a left-handed hitter, but switch hitter. But they have so little left-handed hitting on their club. That he's a kind of a nice guy, nice guy to have, and you could actually carry three catchers if you wanted, because next year they're going to have 26 players uh, during the regular season, as, as opposed to 25 until September, when you're only going to have 28 rather than 40, which is going to be great. And the managers won't go nuts and making a room every other batter, you know, like they could have yeah. for the last 10, 15 years. But uh, Kisner might start out in Memphis and then come up later, or he could be the backup if Weeders isn't resigned, but I'd like to see all three of them there. I agree with you. I really like Kisner a lot. I do hope he stays around. Uh, Kamish, what do you think the Cardinals' biggest need is this offseason? It doesn't sound like they want to be too aggressive, but uh, they do have to pick up offensively. Will they uh, try to solve this internally, or do you think they might go around and, and take a look and see what's out there? Well, I think both. Uh, it's, it's no crime to have two hitters uh, on board. Let's say they don't sign Ozuna. I, I can see them having interest in Ozuna, but not for three or four years. I can see them being interested for a couple years. If that doesn't happen. You fill in your outfield from from with, within to some degree. You have to see what O'Neill can do, what Lane Thomas can do, what a Rosarina can do. Uh, to a lesser extent, Adolis Garcia, who had 32 home runs in Memphis last year, but unfortunately had 159 strikeouts and 22 walks. <laughs> that percentage is not going to be very good. <laughs> yeah, he needs to fix that, league. yeah. Um, and uh, they could still use a left-handed hitter at some position. Now, uh, people wonder about Mustak as well. They're kind of committed to Carpenter, it sounds like, so far at, the, at third base until they're not. Uh, so, But that if they could maybe trade for a left-handed hitting outfielder, not necessarily sign one as a free agent, I mean, they might be able to trade for one. Do you think they have a good rotation idea here with four that you already know, with Flaherty, Hudson, Michaelis, and Wainwright, and the possibility that Carlos Martinez could rejoin that rotation? Yeah, I like that rotation. Now, most of that depends on Carlos. Now that Wainwright is signed, he becomes the, the fourth part of that five-man equation. And if Carlos is able to do it, and you know he wants to do it, that could be terrific. You could have him He's you know as your number two or three starter. And then you still have some other guys from which to choose, although some of them were hurt last year, Gomber, Reyes. Uh, you still have uh, Ponce de Leon. You've got Jake Woodford will be there available. You don't know what you're going to do with Helsley necessarily. So you've got some other guys, but um, those five guys would, would do well, and you need a sixth or seven. Ponce de Leon could be a six, and maybe Reyes or, or somebody, Gomber, could be a seven. And then uh, even Hennessy Cabrera could be in the, in the mix. So they're pretty well fortified there, although as you've always heard, and it's always correct. You never have too much starting pitching. That's right. I don't see the Cardinals going out and signing another reliever. I think that's come back to bite them a few times. I don't I don't see that happening, but they do have some options for closer, don't they, for 2020 until Jordan Hicks is ready? 
Well, I think uh, Gallegos could do it. Some combination of Gallegos, Helsley, Andrew Miller, Brevia. Those four, you could get, you could rotate those guys. Maybe Gallegos would surface above uh, at the top. Or at the yeah, another alternative is let's say Martinez is unable to start, but still has enough strength to relieve. Well, he's he's your closer again. He had 24 saves, so you're you're covered. I think either way. Uh, just in our final few minutes, I want to talk about this baseball writers' dinner on January 19th. I've been part of the committee for many years. I love this dinner very much. It's changed venues through the years, but January 19th and tickets go on sale November 29th. The Cardinals won the NL Central, and there'll be some celebrating, won't there, Rick Hummel, as we get ready for this great dinner? Uh, tell us a little bit about it. Well, in addition to our own awards, uh, one of the main ones going to Jack Flaherty, who will be our Player of the Year, and also we're honoring Ted Simmons uh, in advance of whether he goes in the Hall of Fame or not. I mean, we'll know by then, but I mean, uh, for his 50-plus years in the game, doing everything but managing at the big league level, you know, he was a general manager for a while, he was player development, caught, of course, coached, now he's scouting. Um, and then we're going to have a gold glove for Colton Wong uh, to present that night. We're going to have the Official Manager of the Year Award to give to Mike Schilt. And for our nostalgia folks, uh, it'll be 20 years since Will Clark had those those memorable three months up in 2000 where he sparked the Cardinals to the division title. So he's going to come back. So it's, it's a pretty good uh, and more out of the blues, too. Uh, Tom Stillman will be there in, uh, because of their championship and also on the eve of, their, of the All-Star game being played here. So it, uh, it's a 62nd dinner, January 19th. We're back at the Marriott uh, Grand now. It, we were there several years ago, and now we're back. Marriott Grand is where it'll be on January 19th, 2020. The Baseball Writers Association of America, the St. Louis chapter. There are only a few of these left. New York has one, the one that gets a lot of pub. Uh, Boston still does one in St. Louis, right, Kamish? Right, and Boston has kind of farmed the operation of theirs out to an independent agency. So really the writers just put on the one here and the one in New York. Now we're 62nd here, and the New Yorkers, boy, they're in the 90s, I think. We yeah. might be ahead of Boston or right with them as far as years. Those are three great baseball towns right there. The St. Louis Baseball Writers Association of America Writers Dinner is happening on January 19th at the Marriott Grand. Tickets don't go on sale until Friday, but we're just giving you a little advance warning here. MetroTix.com is where to go to get those tickets starting November 29th, and they'll sell them through the date of the dinner, January 19th. The Hall of Famer Rick Hummel will be there. John Rooney will be the MC. I'll be there as well doing some onstage interviews. Can't wait for it. And we'll continue to promote it and talk about it as we get a little closer, Commish. Thanks for joining us and talking some ball with us on KMOX. Well, thanks for the time, Tom. Thank you very much. Always good to have the Hall of Fame Post-Dispatch writer. I'm Tom Ackerman. We'll be back in just a moment on KMOX. Welcome back to the Munkadass St. Louis Honda Sports on a Sunday morning. Munkadass pre-owned on South Limburg on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Just a couple quick NFL notes, and we'll have some more next hour for you. Saints top cornerback Marshawn Lattimore listed as questionable. Top returner Deontay Harris has been ruled out for today's game against Carolina. Both hamstring injuries that sidelined them last week. Their fullback Zach Lyon has also been ruled out. And how about this? Steelers quarterback Mason Rudolph fined $50,000 by the NFL for his involvement in that brawl that began when Browns defensive end Miles Garrett hit him over the head with a helmet. Actually, it started a little earlier than that, but Garrett... The highlight of that brawl was him hitting Rudolph in the head with his helmet, but Rudolph's been fined 50000 by the NFL. Garrett, 
uh, was uh, suspended and Rudolph, one of 33 players fined by the league yesterday. We'll take a break. We'll come back and Layla Anderson leads off next hour on sports on a Sunday morning on KMOX. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 